Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. My dad took me to see a concert and the conductor came out and he was having so much fun and jumping around and talking to the audience. And then I said, ah, oh, that's what I want to do. That's perfect for me. I, I want to be the conductor. And of course, that conductor I saw was uh, Leonard Bernstein, who eventually became my teacher. That was Marin Alsup telling how her childhood put her on the path to becoming one of the world's most renowned classical music conductors. As conductor for the Baltimore Symphony, she's the only woman to lead a major orchestra, and she's learned well the lessons of her famous mentor, Leonard Bernstein. Like him, Marin Alsop is a fresh force for change in classical music. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear, We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Marin Alsup is a rarity for many reasons. She's the first and only conductor to win a MacArthur Genius Grant. She's conducted orchestras around the world, from Vienna to London to Sao Paulo. And for 14 years, she's made the Baltimore Symphony her home base as conductor and musical director. Alsup believes that everyone deserves the good things that classical music offers. She created a program that's given thousands of inner city children musical training. And she launched a fellowship to nurture more women conductors. She's so beloved that the Baltimore Symphony held a three-week music festival in her honor. In August, Alsup will step down from leading the Baltimore Symphony, but she's far from done revolutionizing the world of music. 
Listen and learn why Marin Alsup is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are speaking today with one of the world's leading music conductors, Marin Alsup. Welcome, Marin. It is a, truly a privilege to be able to speak with you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. You are a first and an only. The first woman to lead a major orchestra as conductor of the Baltimore Symphony. You're also one of the world's leading conductors, period. What does it mean to you to have these accolades and, and why is it so important? Well, you know, I certainly didn't set out to be the first at anything, to be honest. And uh, I, I don't think anyone really sets out with that goal in mind. It just came a little bit with the territory. I just set out to try to be, I want, always wanted to be a conductor since I was a kid. And um, so, you know, it just happens that women have not been allowed the opportunities in this profession. So um, I managed, I think, to be stubborn enough to persevere and uh, become the first woman in so many circumstances. And it brings me great pride and, and I feel very honored. Um, but I'm also a little bit shocked that we can be in the year we're in 2021 and there can still be firsts for women. So I, I hope that through my success and through the opportunities that I create, um, there won't be too many more firsts for women, you know, that women will be integrated into these professions where they haven't been seen so much before. You know, it's so true. Uh, Why is it that women conductors are such a rarity? Well, I think it's a combination of many, many things. It's it's a complicated question because, you know, conducting is is like a microcosm, microcosmic representation of our society at large. You know, when you look at an orchestra, it's a very old-fashioned, in a way, conservative, traditional um, institution. And you have one leader. And that leader, in you know, the archetypal image of a maestro is really not a woman. <laughs> I mean, my archetypal image isn't either. So, you know, it's sort of an older man with an accent, you know, not American either. That's another. So I think it's just breaking these stereotypes that we that we all grow up with that we all have and the great news is that really as a result i think mainly of the me too movement women are now really infiltrating and and finally moving up to the higher echelons of this industry but it's it's because people have you know women haven't been typically seen in these roles. And that's very, very important. It's important to see people that look like you in a role that you want to pursue. Absolutely. If you don't see it, uh, it's hard to believe uh, you can ever do it yourself. Uh, So uh, that is critically important. I often find myself uh, at classical music concerts, counting the number of women, if you can believe, in the orchestra. Uh, And I know it's taken a long time uh, to increase the numbers of the musicians. Um, and in fact, circumstances had to be created where the deciders didn't see if it was a man or a woman, but just listened uh, to their extraordinary uh, capabilities as musicians. That's true. And when, when, the, when 
the auditions were um, anonymized, if that's a word, and screens were put up and uh, carpets were put down so that, you know, you couldn't tell the gender um, of the person auditioning. Women, of course, naturally started winning a lot more positions in the orchestra. I mean, I have to say, my new position is in Vienna. It wasn't until 1997 that that the the Vienna Philharmonic even allowed women into the orchestra as members of the orchestra. And of course, there aren't that many yet still. But the institution of blind, quote unquote, blind auditions really moved um, women forward uh, in the industry tremendously. Does classical music itself uh, need to change to bring about some of these transformative changes? Well, I don't, I don't think the essence of what what we do, you know, which is try to perform at great music at the highest artistic level, I think that goal can still remain. But one thing that I think is a much needed change, and we're seeing it happen finally, is that the repertoire played, the pieces played, are starting to be more representative of a wider, um, wider swath of our population. So that, you know, women composers have been sorely underrepresented. Certainly musicians of color, composers, performers, soloists, conductors have been, you know, sorely, sorely, sorely underrepresented. And, you know, thanks to the recent, um, uh, recent social movements, things are finally starting to change. So I do think that classical, the, the business, the industry of classical music has to change. And, and I think it is changing. And I think it's a wonderful thing. Well, and, and you've been known for being an innovator. Um, I think you said that music has the power to change lives. And I'm sure over the course of your career, you've seen that happen. Yes, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to be able to um, witness the transformative power of music. I would say particularly in Baltimore, where I started as music director in uh, 2007. And in 2008, I started a program for underrepresented kids uh, called Orchids or Orchestra Kids. Mm-hmm. And um, we started with 30 first graders in West Baltimore. And we had no idea really how it would go and, and what the response would be. But these kids were amazing and they, they, they just glommed onto this classical music and and playing instruments. I mean, it was it was so wonderful to see. And today we have over two thousand kids playing musical instruments. And and those first kids from the very first class have now graduated from high school. And many of them have gone on to college. They're studying music. They're studying music education. They want to start programs like Orchids. Um, for as many kids as possible, because it it was a it was an outlet for them that transformed their lives. It's it's wonderful, and it needs to grow by leaps and bounds, so that so many more children can benefit from what music affords. You had mentioned that as a kid, you had aspirations of being a conductor. Can you talk a little bit about growing up and? What was your growing up like that interested you in music, perhaps? Was there a pivotal moment? 
when you said that was going to be me, even if it were men conducting in all of the instances you could see? Sure. I mean, I didn't have a very typical um, childhood because my parents were both professional musicians. So I didn't really have much choice about being a musician. I think I was born to be a pianist. They just needed a a third for their trio. So they said, oh, you know, let's make one. So um, I was born with a job. I was supposed to be their pianist, but I hated the piano, I have to confess. And I retired from the piano when I was about six years old. And uh, my parents tricked me. They said, we lived in Manhattan, you know, in 107th Amsterdam. And they said, hey, do you want to go to summer camp? And even as a six, seven-year-old, I I had this vision of summer camp as swimming and, you know, sailing and <laughs> horseback riding. And so they they said, um, oh, and I had to take the train up by myself because they had to go on a concert tour. And so they said, oh, we forgot to tell you, you might have to play the violin. And I said, oh, that's okay. I can probably squeeze it in between tennis and, and swimming or whatever. And of course, they sent me to, you know, the the really it was like the the work camp for violinists and but it was so interesting because i loved playing the violin and interesting and i think that that was such an important experience for me to discover that for every child there is an instrument but you have to find the right instrument for the child you know so many kids they start an instrument and then they quit. And I think it's merely because it's the wrong instrument for them. The violin spoke to me and then I got to play in the orchestra and I love the sound and I love the social dimension to it. And, and then my dad took me to see a concert and the conductor came out and he was having so much fun and jumping around and talking to the audience. And then I said, ah, oh, that's what I want to do. That's perfect for me. I, I want to be the conductor. And of course, that conductor I saw was uh, Leonard Bernstein, who eventually became my teacher. Oh, my gosh. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. So how did you become a conductor then? What was that process? Well, you know, it's a it's a long process because um, unless you have 20 people come over every day, you, you can't have an instrument to practice on. It takes a long time to figure out how to how to really conduct an orchestra. Um, but as I as a teenager, I would get friends together. My parents would always play for free. And uh you know, I would, I would study the scores and I would watch conductors. And I would, when I had the rare opportunities to try things out, I would, you know, mostly practice with my friends. And then eventually I started my own orchestra when I was in my early twenties with friends of mine. And so that became kind of a a pathway for me that, you know, you build your own system of support with people that care about you and are willing to tell you the truth about what works and what doesn't work. And so that's really how I got started. I, I made my own orchestra in Manhattan and it was called Concordia. And all of my friends, I also had a swing band. Uh, that was my other passion, um, jazz. And uh, all my friends from String Fever also played in Concordia. And it was a great way to learn the craft of conducting. And was that a unique way? Yeah, that that was a bit, you know, as everything in my life has probably been, it's, it was a bit um, unconventionally, you could say, yeah. And, uh, you know, that was, it was born of necessity because um, I had auditioned for for conducting school and conducting programs. And I got very far, I would get very close to being accepted. And then I was never accepted. So I decided, oh. Uh, well, what the heck? I'll just figure it out by myself. And um, so that's what I did. Now, you mentioned Leonard Bernstein uh, playing a pivotal role uh, in your career. Uh, it, it seems just extraordinary to have had him as a famous mentor. What were you able to learn from him? And what were you able in the process to pass on to other women or just to other musicians? Well, you know, he, it was. He was, of course, my hero from the time I was nine years old and went to that concert. And I think it's so important to have heroes that don't let you down in life. And when I finally met him and started studying with him, he exceeded all of my expectations. He was incredibly generous with his knowledge, with his affection, with his support, with his criticism. Um, and I think the most important thing he gave me was the um, the sense of validation that being me was a good thing and that I had something to offer. Um, and 
I think what I learned from him was not just about music, but also about what kind of citizen of the world I wanted to be, because he always stood up for the causes he believed in, whether I, I agreed with them or not was irrelevant, because just watching someone, you know, be brave and courageous and be a citizen of the world. And, um, you know, I've tried to emulate that to the degree that is authentic to me. And I think in, in teaching and in, I started a fellowship for women conductors in 2002 and in creating that fellowship, I think that's woven into it now that first of all, I want to give always my students the sense that they are important and that they deserve to excel and be accepted. And there's room for everyone and everyone is unique. And also that my expectation from them is that they will give back as much as, as they have received. And that all comes from Leonard Bernstein. Oh, that's really so beautiful. You mentioned um, the fellowship that you founded. Does that help uh, support women uh, who want to uh, go into the field? Is it uh, for women in music or is it, uh, tell us about it. Sure. Well, I started this fellowship in, you know, I, I kept thinking, oh, for sure, there are going to be a lot more women in conducting, you know, and then five years went by and then 10 years went by, 15 years, you know, and I, I thought to myself, okay, well, if I don't, if I don't try to change this landscape, who am I going to expect to change it? So I decided to create this fellowship that really would be about opportunities to fail because I had so few opportunities in the field that I couldn't ever afford to experiment and fail. So sometimes I felt I had to just play it safe in order to just be good enough to get by, but I couldn't really try to soar because, you know, there's, there's so much risk involved when you have only one chance. And so that was really, the fellowship was born out of a desire to give, um, give talented young women the chance to, you know, fail and learn from failure. Because th I think that's the, the best way to learn, don't you? Indeed. Uh, we all learn from our mistakes, but we're so afraid of failure. I know, but, you know, I, I, I guess I want, I want the people that I work with and that I mentor to feel um, confident in failing. <laughs> right. That they can embrace it. Uh, right, and exactly. that in fact, it can be your friend as hard as that is sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that can be a very, especially for artists, you know, it, it is a very, very difficult um, thing to embrace, but that's how we improve. That's how we find ourselves, you know, so many things. You know, you had mentioned orchids, and one of the things I uh, often wonder about uh, when I go to concerts, classical music concerts, um, is the paucity of, of young people. Uh, you know, the audiences tend to be older. How does that change? Because uh, the young people who are there are extremely enthusiastic and obviously care deeply um, about the music. What more can we all do to encourage that? I think the changes that we're seeing in the repertoire that's going to be played, you know, pieces by women composers, piece, pieces by um, composers of color, um, 
music that is of today, you know, so that it doesn't, it's not so much of a museum piece. It's not representative of 200 years ago, but rather it, it embodies the sounds we hear in our world today. And I think that that's going to make a huge difference moving forward. Also programs like Orchids, where young people, you know, feel confident in the concert hall. They feel an ownership. You know, I think it's been so elitist for so long that these changes are, are, are going to bring a breath of fresh air into classical music. Well, and two, I think that um, programs are costly and we have to understand why they do make a difference and why these investments need to be made. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're so important. You know, it's not just about classical music. The, the idea of learning an instrument as a child gives you skills that are really critical to success in the 21st century. They, they teach you how to, how to motivate yourself, that progress is only a result of consistent work. They teach you how to listen to each other, how to work together. You know, all these skills that you need to be an individual thinker, an entrepreneur in today's society. Yeah, so well said. Well, I know you're stepping down uh, from the uh, Baltimore Symphony, which you have conducted uh, for many years, and that there was recently a three-week Marin Festival to (laughs) celebrate you before you do step down. You'd mentioned your next role is with the Vienna Philharmonic. Did I hear that right? My next, um, my new position is with the Vienna Radio Symphony. Ah. And uh, so I started there last year and, uh, oh, I'm loving it there. It's fantastic. And I'm also the chief conductor here in Chicago with the Chicago Symphony at the Ravinia Festival. Oh, well, that's a wonderful festival as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I, I'm, I'm super excited about the future and I've had a, a wonderful 14 years in Baltimore and uh you know, I'm glad to s- still stay connected with the orchestra. I'll, I'll conduct three weeks a year, every year. Well, for your fans uh, in the area, and I'm here in Washington, uh, that's good news indeed. Uh, but really terrific that you'll be involved in these other venues as well, because they are rather extraordinary. Before we have to sign off here, what makes you optimistic about the future? People have come through some terrible months with this pandemic. Uh, everybody isn't through it completely. Music does make the spirit soar. What makes you uh, optimistic that we can get to a better place in all of this? Well, I think that um, I think that art has carried us through so many difficult times in human history. And, you know, the nature of, of creating music together is a bonding and very social experience. And the idea of coming together as community to share in something beautiful or something comforting or something, you know, the great thing about music is that it can speak to one person in one way and in a completely different way to the person sitting next to that person. And yet both are valid. And that's what I love about art. You know, it's, it's about the individual. And um, I think right now, we need to come together as a society. We need that communal human experience. And that's what music is there for. 
And may music continue to be that bridge, especially now. Thank you so much, Marin Alsup. You are truly an extraordinary example of achievement, not just for women, but uh, across the board in your field, one of the world's leading music conductors. We are grateful to you for all that you have done, for all the great joy you have brought to your audiences, and we will continue to follow your career. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That should be music to everyone's ears. We're so fortunate that Marin Alsup continues to shape the world of music. Here are three things I took from that conversation. First, Marin tells us why learning an instrument is as important for today's children as it was when most of us were in grade school. Musical training gives children the skills that are critical to success. It teaches self-motivation, and it teaches how to listen and how to work together. Second, Marin reminds us why mentorship matters. Her mentor was the legendary conductor Leonard Bernstein, who shared not only musical knowledge, but also gave her a sense of validation that being her authentic self was a good thing, and he showed her why it was important to give back to others. Finally, Marin knows that sometimes you have to take things into your own hands when you want to see progress. She created a fellowship to increase the number of women conductors. She said to herself, if I don't try to change this, who will? Crucially, the fellowship gives women the opportunity to take risks and fail and gain new strengths from their failures. Because as she says, failure is really the best way to learn. Tune in next Tuesday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there, way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, 
a notebook, and some sandals, and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu.